TFM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp Five, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as he always is, is my esteemed co-host Matthew Rushing. And Matthew, I am glad to see that you've brought your warm coat today, because you're going to need it where we're headed. Well, Chris, I might not only have brought my warm coat. But I've also brought my Starfleet rations and my own flask of scotch whiskey because, you know, I just where we're headed, I'm just not a huge fan of uh, a lot of the things that they have to either eat and or drink. Yeah, I know what you mean. Same for me. I hope you brought a little extra whiskey for me. Oh, of course, I'll share. <laughs> Excellent. And I just want to remind you of one more thing. Unlike in this story, our podcasts run on talk, not dilithium. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Which is good because, you know, we're fresh out of dilithium, so... Mm. Yeah, I've got a little trilithium over here, but I think we shouldn't mess with that. Yeah, it's probably a good call. Yeah. All right, everyone, we are going to continue our 20th anniversary rewatch of Enterprise today with the 19th episode of Season 2, Judgment. And here is a quick rundown of the story. Captain Jonathan Archer of the battlecruiser Enterprise stands before a Klingon magistrate to face the music for aiding and abetting fugitives from the Empire. At least that's the Klingon side of the story. Archer, actually captain of the Earth Starship Enterprise, tells a different story and attempts to prove his innocence with the help of a Klingon advocate who has become disillusioned with Klingon society and has all but given up fighting for change. Challenged by Archer as lacking honor, he takes the fight to the prosecutor and, while still losing by winning, finds a new path for himself. So, Matthew, let's just jump into the setting. I mean, obviously, this is modeled after The Undiscovered Country, your favorite Star Trek film. And how do you feel about that? I do like the way in which this mirrors that film of course and i think it is an it's an interesting time to be able to explore again the klingon court system and to see the ways in which you know obviously this story takes place you know 120 years or more uh before that mm -hmm. but I, I think one of the things that enterprise does is to play with the races and the characters to which we already know. And um, to play with the Klingons like this, I think is very interesting and to try and give them some, some depth and utilizing something that fans are familiar with, which is the Klingon court system. And of course, we're repente and those type of things to me is interesting, but I, I think, yes, we have a familiar setting, but, I personally believe that they utilize those to their own benefit. I don't personally think that you need to have seen Undiscovered Country to appreciate the story because, mm -hmm. yes, it might call back to those things, but this episode is 
doing its own things with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's telling its own story with that. And so uh, I'm glad that's the case because if it was just all about callbacks, it would be a little bit frustrating to me. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be a very weak episode because of it. But I, I feel like it's not just about this being a familiar setting. It's about using those settings to tell a story for Archer, for his crew, for Klingons at this time period, uh, mm-hmm. which to me is is exactly what you would want. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like it It gets to that. I wonder if you don't know, if you've never seen The Undiscovered Country, if you're not as familiar with Klingons. I'm often thinking about new Star Trek fans coming in and watching some of this stuff from the beginning. And we don't get a lot of Klingon background in Enterprise itself. I mean, I know they're part of Broken Bow, and there's the setup, and then there's sleeping dogs and marauders and some stuff like that. But they're not the key villain of Enterprise. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like this story relies a lot on past knowledge of Klingons and kind of very much that trial in the undiscovered country because we don't know how Archer was captured. We're just thrown directly into this right at the beginning, which is, I think, the best way to do it visually and it's engaging and it's like oh my god archer's on trial what's going on but i feel like the getting into the meat of the story and what's important about this story for me which we'll talk more about here as we go which is the diversification of the klingon society and how it's presented and also the way that a uh, human spirit inspires Kolos to mm-hmm. uh, not be disillusioned with what's going right. on in his society and to speak up. And it takes a bit of time to get into that because there's a lot of this uh, recreation of that courtroom scene, mm-hmm. which from a continuity standpoint, yeah, it ties in well. But I, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like this... I I was thinking as I was watching it again this time that I kind of have a love-hate relationship with this episode. And some of that uh, is tied up in the same thing because I both love the mirroring of the Undiscovered Country aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And I also feel that maybe overpowers the story a little bit. I, I maybe... Uh, I was thinking as you were talking... I think maybe one of the things that this episode could do better, and I think um, the ways in which the way in which you would make it better is actually by having this be a duology of episodes. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and I think the reason I say that is because I think what this episode needs is more time to tell its story. Like I, I think, you know, if if um. Unfortunately, enterprises at this time period where, you know, episodes have been cut down to about 43 minutes in length mm-hmm. uh, because of commercials. And so, uh, you know, unfortunately, the greed of corporations uh, has led to shows not being able to actually tell, I think, as rounded a story because they just don't necessarily have the time to mm-hmm. be able to do so. 
And so I think this episode could have actually benefited from them making it a two-parter where you get the opportunity to spend more time with all of these decisions that are being made. You actually would get to see, you know, Archer being captured and those kind of things that fill in that part of the story as well, which I think would be really interesting. And uh, it also gives you more time to just be able to spend then in what we're exploring, which is the Klingons, their empire, uh, the way in which their justice system has degraded in the last 25 to 30 years, and the way that which the empire has, has you know, changed. So I, I think all of those things would have been made better with more time because at everything you're mentioning, it really just seems like, yeah, that seems to be a product of the fact that we just don't have enough time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. You remember two episodes of Warp 5 back, we talked about Canamar and how Canamar's story came out of the breaking of this story. And they had that idea of Archer being found on a prison ship and they have to free him. And then that got spun off into Canamar, which we agreed was maybe not quite a whole story. And then here we're looking at the fact that we don't know how he got captured. And as you're talking about with the duology, maybe we would get to see that. So it's just kind of interesting to me that an element that I feel is missing from this episode, which is how he ended up there in the first place, was spun off into another episode. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I guess, you know, with your question then about whether or not it requires too much knowledge... You know, that's a hard question for, I think, either you or I to truly mm-hmm. be able to answer just because we have such knowledge of Star Trek. You can't divorce yourself from what you know right. in any way. And therefore, yeah, that's difficult. Um, and you are, I think, correct in saying that, you know, Enterprise, the Klingons are there, but they're not the main villain of the series. And so I think this story does create a lot of shorthand with fans, and therefore fans can really enjoy it. But unless you have been watching Star Trek for quite a while, you probably are not going to get as much out of this episode Mm -hmm. as those of us who had been longtime fans would. And I think that's another reason why the episode could have benefited from being a longer show. Mm-hmm. And and just that means, unfortunately, if you're going to make it longer, it just needs to be a two-parter. Right. And you need a lot more story to go along mm-hmm. with it than what we have here. But, but certainly there are aspects of the story that could be explored more deeply, for sure. It, it I think it may be a popular episode with a lot of fans because there are fans who didn't really like the direction of Enterprise or the tone of the show as a prequel. And then suddenly here you're thrown into something really familiar and you're like, ah, this is what the show should be. It should be more like this. It should be more about the uh, familiar Star Trek universe and tie into these things. And so David A. Goodman wrote the episode and I know he tried to include lots and lots of references to the next generation Klingons. And I like that he did that because, you know, again, one of our problems with Discovery 
and many fans' problems with Discovery was this recrafting of the Klingons. And not only the Klingons themselves and how they look, but their ships even. You know, there's some there's some pretty bizarre Klingon ships in Discovery with those little glass bubble looking things. But mm-hmm. but here, even though this is a prequel, they go to great lengths to make the Klingons that we see here really fit in with the Klingons that we're familiar with. You've got the look Mm -hmm. of the undiscovered country faithfully recreated. You've got the Klingons looking the way that we're accustomed to them on The Next Generation and on Deep Space Nine. You've got J.G. Hertzler playing Kolos, which was perfect. I think he did a wonderful job of playing yet another Klingon who's not Bartok, but has that Klingon feel and then the other thing I really love is that the story centers on a member of the Duras family, and they actually went through and made sure that the forehead ridges match the house. So here, this Duras's forehead ridges are the same as those that we see on Duras and Lursa and Bator and Taral and Gerard on The Next Generation and so you've got that continuity there as well. And that mm-hmm. that's just where I, I love, like we're seeing in Picard season three, you and I talking about that on the artificial tango. We love this attention to detail of making the universe real by following through with that continuity. Right. Yeah, no, I, I really agree with you on that. You know, I think it is just so important to be getting continuity. And obviously... They are tying into the larger continuity that pretends as though everything that you saw in the original series looks like the films and then the next generation. Um, and, you know, they'll, they'll deal later with, with all of that. But yes, I think paying attention to try and make the courtroom set up where a pente and all those things feel like they did the last time that you saw them and maybe have some nuance to them that make it feel just a little bit older, a little, you know, mm-hmm. a little less refined, I think is all great. And that's that's the kind of thinking that I think you want. I think, again, you know, I said this when we were talking about Picard uh, seasons one and two before the, the new season started, is like people want to feel as though the thing that they love is respected and I think this shows that they have a loving respect for what came in the past. Does the story itself rely maybe too much on previous knowledge? I think that very much can be argued to be the case. Mm-hmm. But I think that the way in which they went about creating the story and crafting the story and and doing it so that you felt as though everything that they were doing respected what came before that's i mean i I, they're doing a fantastic job on that Mm -hmm. yeah they are uh while we're talking about continuity one other thing that i thought was really interesting in here is the the planet where this is taking place in the first place which is narendra 3 and of course you remember what happens on narendra 3 a uh, hundred and what it's about 192 years later i believe in 
yesterday's Enterprise, when the Enterprise C defends the Klingon colony there. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. if they don't, they end up in this alternate timeline where the uh, Federation Klingons are at war with each other. So I thought that was a really nice little thing to throw in there as well, just to keep it all uh, nice and neat in universe and make it feel like a real, a real future, a real world. So let's talk about the like heart of the story, this challenging the empire, the idea that the, the Klingon society had been something much more. And the, as Kolos explains, the warrior class has just kind of taken over. And he asks Archer, you didn't believe all Klingons were soldiers. And Archer says, yeah, I guess I did. And I liked that response too, because it it just highlights the prejudice that humans mm-hmm. have against any other group of people. It's very easy for you to just have right. this preconceived notion about someone and you forget, you treat everybody like a monolith. And mm-hmm. of course, Star Trek is guilty of doing that with aliens in stories because it's easy to just treat the planet as like, well, everybody there is the same, but we know in reality it's not. And Kolos explains that his father was a teacher, his mother was a biologist at the university, and they encouraged him to become a lawyer. And so we are being presented here finally that, yeah, there is this great diversity in the uh, Klingon society. And I love that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I also I love his answer because I felt like it was for the audience as well. You know, that's an, an answer that mm-hmm. we might answer is because that's and, – and I don't necessarily know if it, it it necessarily speaks to a prejudice because really all that he's met of Klingons are warriors. Oh, sure. Yeah, know? in and universe so, of the story. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think this gives us the opportunity then to be able to – learn about Klingons and I, I, I this is one of the things I think the episode does really well we think we know what Klingon society is because for most of our existence as human beings watching Star Trek they've been a monoculture mm-hmm. right and yeah. they have been treated like that and it, it's kind of sad that that's the case and yet here they actually give reasons for that where it, it has become a thing in Klingon culture that the warrior class is more accepted. It has become mm-hmm. a class system, right? Like this, this, um, and the dangers of that. And and this is one of the things where I feel like if the episode had had more time, it really could have discussed more what it's talking about, the right. way in yeah. which, um, certain professions, certain people are more looked up at in you know certain societies and others are looked down on, which you know I mean is something to, every single society has had to deal with, and it's an important discussion to be had. And so by doing this with the Klingons, uh, and if they had done it with a duology of episodes, I think it would have been even more, pronounced as to what the episode is trying to kind of get across they 
can still be subtle and, and wonderfully done, but I think that this is something to which I would have liked to have seen even more of because mm-hmm. it's the type of discussion that Star Trek is good at having where it uses a alien society to mirror us and therefore shine a light on something that we need to look at. So I I think it could only have been better, but I absolutely love that this is what we're doing in the episode. We're actually explaining a little bit about why Klingons are the way we are throughout TOS and onwards because their society began to put way too much value mm-hmm. on warriors and not enough value on every other part of life. Right, right. And I, I guess this is why at the beginning I said I feel like maybe the undiscovered country courtroom wrappings overshadow the core of the story because this is the part I also would like to have a lot more of in the story. Mm-hmm. And the naturally because the NX-01 and Archer are the heroes of Enterprise, naturally the story is told very much about them and their situation and the actions that they took and then how they impacted uh, Duras in this case. And can we prevent Archer from being executed for these crimes, that the, the, what the Klingons see as crimes? But Kolos's side and what he says about Klingon society is far more interesting to me than mm-hmm. the encounter between Archer and Duras in space. And so I do wish we had more of that. And yeah, in Star Trek, the I've always felt it's odd that the Klingons are seen as this monoculture of warriors because you know that if they're all warriors and they're just always fighting each other and killing and conquering, they wouldn't reach the point of the technology that they have in the first place. Right. And there's been some in-universe explanations about how you know the Klingons take technology from here, uh, from this world or that world. As they conquer people, they can improve. But in reality, if you're going to leave your planet and go into deep space exploration and conquer other worlds, you first have to achieve a certain level of technology yourself. And that's not going to happen if your society is simply what we normally see of Klingons drinking bloodline and fighting with each other, right? So you know that that has to be there. But what I like about this is the fact that it has to be there. You know, it could be there up to a certain point, and then the society could kind of collapse on itself where what he's describing here, the warriors take over. And that's where I think it mirrors our real world a lot, where, you know, we built up, you look at it today, I mean, we have great technological advancement today, but how many people know how to actually create the technology that we have or fix something if it breaks, right? And I I feel that in this story, Kolo says that young people, they just want to take up weapons as soon as they can hold them because that's the thing to do. And in our world, I see it's not so much like, oh, we want to take up weapons and fight, but it's sort of like the the drive of a teacher in the case of Kolos's father or biologist as his mother, engineers. It's being 
suppressed a bit as the overall society becomes very comfortable because our, you know, for most of the people on the planet, I don't want to generalize because there are people on our planet who have very difficult living conditions. But if you look at countries like the United States or countries in Europe or Japan here where I live, you know, life is pretty easy thanks to technology and it's easy for us to forget those roots, I guess, is is where I'm mainly going with that. Yeah, this is, uh, I think, with the Klingons, um, I find this to be, like you said, the most interesting part of the story. And I do wish that it had been the focus of this story as well, and they maybe found a, a, a slightly different way, or again, just to move the focus away, like you said, from the courtroom to this, because um, there's just so much to be mined here. Um, and I think that to, to, and to me, I was, I was thinking about this as you were talking, like, this is so much more relevant now than it is when I think this came out because mm-hmm. I think there has become a a real focus on looking up to and um, kind of putting on a pedestal certain classes, even in our own societies, and thinking that their opinions and their thoughts are more important than others. And that's exactly what happens here with the Klingons. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's 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 a really important thing to have this type of story be told for us to to think about. And so and I think then creating the the Klingon diversity just makes them more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that just like the Cardassians or what Enterprise does for the Vulcans or any of these races that that we really love, um, I think that by doing this with the Klingons, it makes them a more interesting species to to enjoy. You know, I know a lot of people where Klingons are not their favorites in Star Trek just because. Well, I pointed those. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. They they don't do enough with them to to make them more interesting right yeah i mean it kind of gets for me i, I know people lo- who love the klingons of course but for me the stories can be kind of boring because you know what you're going to get and mm-hmm. you know i've seen that before and so here we're getting something really different with the klingons which is something i do love about this episode I think maybe we talk about diversity. I just think diversity of thought is very important. And that's what you get when you have a society that isn't dominated by one uh, group or one, um, in this case, warriors. And it, it felt like when he says, my father was a teacher, my mother was a biologist at the university, it felt like that's just something that is in the past for them. And every one of those professions uh, and every one of those disciplines gives you diversity of thought, which I just think is very important. Mm -hmm. Which I think, um, as you mentioned that, I think that's the other thing that when you're, you can't challenge anything if everybody all thinks the same way. Right. And then people are put down for thinking a different way. 
part of of what makes um you know modern society having worked for so long is having a diversity of thought where thoughts are weighed against one another and people decide together okay what what would be better for us than others you know and that the, there are going to be some that are better than others and that it's okay to then say that after you've gone through this process mm-hmm. of t- having the discussion and all those type of things but there has to be diversity of thought in the first place and uh that's one of the things that i think you know the beauty of this is that they're setting up what creates the problems for the Klingons by the time you get to TNG, mm-hmm. where the system is truly falling apart mm-hmm. um, for yeah. them. And I love that. And then, of course, that continues on into Deep Space Nine. And Deep Space Nine picks that story up and runs with it until they finally work to try and resolve that with, you know, Martok becoming mm-hmm. a. Uh, the leader of the Klingon Empire, someone yeah. that no one would ever have thought could be the leader. And so I, I think, again, this episode, it's just, it's so rife with wonderful ideas about exploring the Klingon Empire. The only thing that would make it better is just having more time to truly dig into those ideas even deeper, which is the hallmark of like, it's right there you know it's on the edge um we're almost it's and that's 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 sometimes a very frustrating experience as a fan Mm -hmm. yeah i was gonna say that it it carries it forward through ds9 until the point where kolos becomes chancellor uh wait no no it is bartok (laughs) because you've got jg (laughs) playing both so even though in universe it's not uh, the same character it's the same actor which i think makes a really nice little thread here from yeah what happens at the end of this to later because talking about kolos i did want to ask you what you think about the end of the episode so they get sent to ruripente and Archer offers Kolos to come with them. He'll get them out. And he says, I can't go with you. And Archer asks him why. And he says, I've been an advocate for 50 years. And I've spent the last 20 of that standing in that tribunal, playing my part, holding my tongue, all while honorable men were being sent to places like this without the benefit of a defense. And then he realizes that he can't do that anymore. And so he decides to stay there and serve his time in Rupente. And on screen, we really don't ever get anything else from this. And we don't know what happens to him. In the books, his story was continued a little bit. Uh, He did serve his time. He got out. He eventually led a fleet of ships to support uh, Earth. But... Did you want to see more in this story? Like, you know, if you did your duology idea, what would you do beyond the ending of this? Or or do you mm-hmm. like the fact that it ends and we we know that he's he's going to sacrifice for a year and hopefully he's going to get out and then somehow he's going to affect change in the Empire? I, I think this is absolutely the place where you wish that Enterprise had gotten more seasons. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think because this is a story that would have been very interesting to follow up on, especially 
in the fifth season, right? Where he's gotten out and, um, you know, uh, for some reason uh, runs into Archer again or, you know, something like that. But at the same time, I like to think, and like you kind of brought up, the fact that you have this character being played by J.G. Hertzler and then you have Martok being played by him as well. It creates these very interesting bookends for the Klingon Empire mm-hmm. uh, in what might be termed the Berman verse of Star Trek, right? And that to think that he's the spark of that, that 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 fire that kind of gets continued uh, and carried by different Klingons uh, throughout all the way to Martok's time. And I think that that has to be the case because people seem to respond, you know, especially, and this comes from the novel verse, but, you know, people do respond well in the end to having somebody like a Martok be the chancellor of the Klingon Empire. And it's a difficult job for him, but he does it well. And I think the people respond well uh, in the end, and he makes a difference in the Klingon Empire. And so I don't think that that would have been able to have happened unless there had been some kind of underlying fire waiting to just kind of find its um, its, it, its true stoker, right? Like the person who really comes in and stokes that fire. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I would have loved to have seen uh, this story get played out in a fifth season of Enterprise. And it's, uh, and, you know, I think that's going to be a refrain that we'll say many times as we're walking through mm-hmm. uh, this series. Yeah. Is that, yeah, there's there's so many storytelling opportunities that they do set up in these seasons to which you just don't have the ability to be able to follow up on. And that's disappointing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's a great point. And also, I was just thinking there, recording this a couple of weeks after Valentine's Day, it almost sounded like you were writing a Klingon love song there, that underlying fire just waiting to uncover its true stoker. <laughs> it does. It does. Uh, I, I, you would need to make it a little bit more Klingon, yeah. you know, a little bit more forceful, yeah. uh, you know, and probably a little more blood for it to really sink in. But um, yeah, I, I could. we could make it a hit there on Kronos. <laughs> Speaking of blood, this is the first appearance on the timeline of blood wine and also pain sticks. Ah, that's true. Yeah. So I guess you can stoke that fire with the pain stick and uh And a little bit of blood wine. With yeah. a little bit of blood wine at the end, yeah. All right. Great. Well, any final thoughts on this one and what's your rating? Yeah, as as we were talking through the episode, I think it, it it's a thing that comes down to, and it's an episode that really, truly comes down to, that there are some very good ideas here that could have just used some more fleshing out. And because of that, I would probably give this three and a half out of five swigs of blood wine uh, out of five because I think it, it's good but it can't transcend into greatness because we don't actually get the opportunity to explore what really makes this episode special mm-hmm. in the way that I think it deserves to be discussed. In the same way, 
season four allows us to truly explore the Vulcans finally mm-hmm. in the way that then brought everything that had been done so far with them in the series kind of come together. And and I almost wish that, that had this had been kind of our moment for that with the Klingons here, but they just don't take it. And mm-hmm. so, um, and, you know, part of that is, I think, where they are. You know, they're in a place where episodes are really short and they were struggling with the idea of, like, the continuity thing. So, I just wish that they had kind of, you know, followed a little bit more in the Deep Space Nine mold and and, and just gone for it in that in that sense. So, mm, yeah. Yeah, three and a half out of five. All right. Yeah, my final thoughts are, you know, I enjoy the episode. It's fun to have the call back to the undiscovered country. And then you see that their courtroom setting hasn't changed, at least in a hundred something years, right? So once the Klingons find an aesthetic they like, they stick with it. That's for sure. But I I just wanted more of the exploration of the Klingon culture here since they opened the door to it and they they you know dangled that in front of us and yeah i would have liked to have known more about what happened to colas at the end so i'm gonna give this one seven pieces of undercooked targ Well, everyone, we would love to hear your thoughts on judgment. There are many ways for you to share those with us. Perhaps the best way is to go to Facebook and join the Babel Conference. That is our listeners group. It's a closed group intended to extend the conversations beyond the podcast. So if you're joining for the first time, please do answer the questions and agree to the rules of the forum so that I can let you in. And you'll find a post on the timeline for this episode, and you can share your thoughts with Matthew and me and fellow listeners right there. And the way to find it on Facebook is just to type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field. If it doesn't come right on up, just type the Babel Conference, the full name. And if you'd like to send us email, you can do that by going to our website, trek.fm slash contact. Use the form you find there, choose to send to a show, and choose Warp 5. And that will come to Matthew and me by email. And you can also find us in social media. Our username everywhere is trek.fm. And if your podcast app of choice allows you to leave a rating and a review, we would love to get that from you as well. Now, Matthew, when you're not hiding that flask of whiskey that you brought with you from the Klingon guards that are on Rurapente, where can people find you? Well, uh, don't tell anyone. Uh, but <laughs> you, if you're looking for me, uh, I might be on social media under the alias Matt Rushing Zero Two. So very sneaky. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox, Vero. Uh, you can also find me, of course, here on the network. We have a whole other side of the network where we don't talk about Star Trek, but we talk about everything else that we love. So I hope you'll check that out. Also doing literary treks about the books and the comics of Star Trek. Chris and I, we do The Orb, talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine on our 30th anniversary we watch. We've also got Saddle Up, about Strange New Worlds, and of course Star Trek Picard is happening now. Season 3 is going on, and we're loving doing the artificial tango again. And then you can also find me over on the Nerd Party Network with two shows. One is called Owl Post, about Harry Potter. Did that with Drea Kaufman, and we talked about every single chapter of that series. 
You can also find me doing aggressive negotiations with John Mills as we talk about Star Wars. Uh, now, Chris, you know, when you're not trying to figure out how you're going to get yourself out of your parking ticket, Repente sentence, where can people find you? Well, they just didn't believe me. I tried to explain to them that I wasn't really illegally parking and, and going over the meter. It's just that the tires on my car got frozen. It just frozen into oh. the ice. I mm. couldn't move it. Mm. Uh, what am I supposed to do? You know, I only have so much latinum to put into that meter. So <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but when I'm not trying to uh, fight my way out of that, you can find me here on the network, as you mentioned, doing all those shows with you. Also, Larry Namachik and I do The Ready Room from time to time. And you can find me in many episodes in the back catalog on a variety of shows. And if you'd like to chat with me on social media, you can find me everywhere. My username is C Brian Jones, letter C and Brian with a Y. Twitter is where I'm most active. You can also find me on Mastodon now as C Brian Jones on the Trekkie social instance. And I'd love to talk with you there. And if you would like to help us keep this show and everything that we're doing on the network going, we could definitely use your help to produce and distribute the shows. It costs quite a bit to do all that, and we wouldn't be here without the support of our listeners. So if you'd like to get involved, just visit patreon.com slash trekfm to find out how. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. And we'd like to send a huge thank you to everyone who's supporting us. Now, we truly wouldn't be here without your help. So thank you so very, very much. Well, Matthew, I'm looking forward to next time. We're going to get one of those rare afternoons with Travis as we visit his family with him there aboard the Horizon. I am so excited about this, Chris. So let's go. Let's go.